The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five heavyweight wars in MMA with special guest co-host Zane Simon. As per usual, we went deep. So, strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com as well as MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year episode of the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA, but we're going to do so in a slightly different way. That's right, the top five episodes are back, which means I need a guest co-host to help me unpack and uh, br- bring it on one that I already had on this year, but as promised, I, I got to get this guy on a... More and 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 you know he said yes, so I'm gonna I'm gonna abuse it. It's Bloody Elbow's own Zane Simon at the Zane Simon on Twitter. What's up, Zane? Hey man, how's it going? Good man. Again, thanks for joining me. It's uh you know we both kind of are you know chopping through the machete of MMA through our own different beats and whatnot. But uh, it's nice to come up for air and 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 do one of these you know fuck around lookbacks. I know you obviously already do your own for people that aren't aware of Zane over at Bloody Elbow. He, behind many podcasts from vivisection to of course the mma depressed us which is you know another throwback if you will and uh probably a bunch of others that i'm missing right zane oh well you know i i i've done way too many shows to count at this point six round you know six round vivisection are are the go-to bread and butter weekly a few others that have fallen off the table at this point depressed us will be back this week though and uh not to tease it out too much for anybody who might be uh, listening to this and that, but I think we're going to be doing an entire Giant Silva career retrospective. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. There's a lot of... I think of we di- can fit the entirety of Giant Silva's career in one show. That's a lot of direction of depressed us you got there. Hey, you know, you got to... You, you, we take what MMA gives. <laughs> Indeed. It, it does give a lot. Oh, my... Yeah, it does give a lot, but... uh that's another reason why, uh, you know, all bullshitting aside, I do, do respect someone like yourself at the price that it comes being a roster minder and a historian, as it were, if you will. So I got to get somebody that, you know, again, Zane is the only person that's more, I can honestly say is way more hipster than I am. So it's nice. <laughs> it's nice to bring that balance out. I don't have to feel so bad about it, you know? Yeah, you gotta get you gotta get moved out to the Pacific Northwest, getting or like D.C., New York, one of these other hipster cities. Get yourself a, you know, I don't know. Do, do, I, I got like a Subaru that helps drink some craft beer, all that, you know. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to veer us further off direction, much less steal your uh, your colleague <laughs> your colleague's gimmick of picking on you, like uh, like everybody, uh, <laughs> especially a Connor Rebush, another person who's been on the show, likes to do. But uh, but yeah, Zane is known for much more than his uh, m- much more than his uh, uh, wits. So there we go. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, but no, we're going to get into this top five. Of course, we're going to be doing top five heavyweight wars. But first, I just wanted to kind of push through. I was going to try to do the, do this as a separate episode, so I kind of apologize to Zane uh, off mic here earlier that uh, I'm going to have to rope him into just a, a very brief recap. As you know, we, we, we keep the uh, recaps brief, but 
it was such a card that I actually did want to give some thoughts. And I know Zane again on his uh, sixth round post fight show with a uh, shout out to Eddie, Eddie Marcado uh, is who you do it with over there, right? Mm-hmm. Shout yeah. out to that gentleman as well. I know you already gave some thoughts there, so I definitely am not going to try to make you you rewind and 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 and, and you know uh, milk all that out of you, but but. Chime in, chime in as you will, Zane, because I'm, I'm interested to hear some thoughts, and so are the listeners. Uh, we'll just go, you know, top to bottom and uh, touch on the card, uh, you know, just, just acknowledge its existence this weekend, and then we'll, we'll push on to top five people. As per usual, time stamps in the show notes for you eager beavers. Um, yeah, UFC 238 happened this last weekend, not to time stamp this show too much. Uh, and it was uh, it, it was it was it was it was a good card from top to bottom. I don't think you know you can't really uh, you can really be too too depressed uh, walking away from that one right Zane no I mean it, it was a it was a card booked well enough on paper that it would have been remarkable for it to suck like you're not going to get a bad fight out of Ferguson Cerrone even if it ended early in that case Shevchenko yeah. I was just booked to be a slaughter and it was mm. and I I can't imagine Henry Cejudo in a boring fight and much more so like even less so now he's whether you you know whether you're thrilled by flyweights and bantamweights or not, and bantamweights especially, you should be because it's actually full of powerful knockout strikers. But Cejudo has turned himself into an all-action fighter out there, so there's nothing not to like about watching him fight. Yeah, let's let, let's stay there for a second since we're just going to work quickly from the top down. Yeah, Cejudo. Um, I don't know about you, but I definitely got to recalibrate. And it wasn't any hate for his shtick or anything like that. Like I get what he was trying to do, as corny as it was, or whatever side you fell on it. But as as a fighter, I mean, I have to recalibrate because I've I've you know again not not the most horrendous picks, but uh, yeah, I picked up against him three times in a row now, and he just keeps proving uh, me and everybody else and their mothers uh, wrong. And you're right. At the end of the day, uh, he's a really you know he's a really fun action fighter who. At least in this fight alone, kind of proved that he can he can bring that fight in multiple phases. Yeah, I, it's the thing that I think is really worth noting noting about him, and when we see him in the cage, that is requiring the calibration. It's I think it, it's all right to have to recalibrate around these recent fights he's had because the thing that we're ha- we're we're really having to recalibrate is just how tough and dedicated he is to winning fights yes because the first round of this fight looked exactly like i thought it this fight would like i think a lot of people thought this fight would which is just you put henry cejudo out in open space where he can't easily out wrestle marlon marais and he's just not nearly as good a striker at all and sticking him out there and making that purely the the place where this fight was going to be contested he, you know, you had to assume he would just be massively outgunned. Yeah, and he just decided instead that he'd just bite down and make it a high-paced pocket brawl against Marais, and you know, force Marais to have to match his his pace and knock him out. And Marais couldn't. Like he almost did. He, at the end of that second round, he hit Cejudo like right at the bell with a shot that stung and like stunned Cejudo visibly. But the pace was already had already broken. Yeah, yeah, that 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 was very much was true. And you're right, kind of his, you know, what you started off by saying as far as his ability to kind of persevere through those spots. And that's kind of where I had mixed reads. You know, I I heard Mm -hmm. those uh, initial wrestling stories of, 
you know, he's a guy who shows up on game day, and we've all, you know, seen or heard yeah. about those guys, or the vice versa, the Mike Pyle. I love Mike Pyle, the Mike Piles of the world, the guys that only maybe show up in the gym, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then, you know, with you know him, you know, hearing these personal stories, and especially people that were following his later LFA into the UFC career, all those pullouts he was having to have, um, it really put some doubt into, you know, what's this guy doing to prepare? Uh, you know, where's his head at, you know, um, to the point where even the last time he had to do it against Sergio Pettis, you know, people were speculating, oh, was he, did he get, you know, of course, in, anytime people associate fighters being scared is silly, but I'm just kind of to belabor, yeah. to belabor, belabor the point of what was being said out there, you know, uh, doubt, in other words. And then, of course, he comes back and just blows Sergio Pettis out of the water. And it's like, okay, well, certainly wasn't scared of that matchup. Um, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and, and, it, and it's kind of crazy. So I kind of had that mixed read. And this fight, of course, uh, you know, solidified that uh, more clearly for me. And not to jump ahead on the card, but I wasn't sure. Uh, I wasn't, even before, even though I was picking against him, I still wasn't confident in this. But I almost compared him to maybe a guy like Jimmy Rivera, who maybe this criticism is more fair to. Where I, I almost feel like this Cejudo, uh, uh, like a Rivera, like he needs things to be in control, whether it's heading into the fight or the fight within the fight itself, he needs to be in control to to be successful or to feel like he can be successful. If that makes sense, I uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that this is kind of the fight that shows that that isn't the case, right? Where like, right, yeah, yeah, you know, he was totally in zero control of this. His corner, you know, he came back to his corner after round one. They're like, oh yeah, just like DJ, just like DJ. And it's like this is not fucking just like <laughs> DJ. You got shut the fuck out in that round. Yeah, yeah. It was a brutally bad round for Henry Cejudo. And even when he, you know, even when he came back and he brought the fight back to, Mar- to Marais, he didn't do it on his terms. He didn't do it by going out and wrestling Marais into the into the canvas and just being like, Oh, well, I got this in my back pocket. I can make this work. He kept striking with him. It's just that, you know, he relied on the fact that he was a little bit faster in pocket exchanges, just a tiny bit. And that he was tough enough to know that if I go in and I can hit him first, I can take whatever shot comes back at me and just keep firing. That's a hell of a gamble, too, when you think it about is it. A even, hell even of in a hindsight, gamble. Even in hindsight that it worked, it's still a hell of a gamble. Yeah, it's a hell of a gamble to make, and I think that that absolutely just shows it's not, you know, for a fighter like Cejudo, it's not about being in control. It's not about, it's not like against DJ where it's like, well, you know that Demetrius Johnson's not probably going to knock you out. You know, every Cejudo started to know every time that he entered exchanges with with uh, DJ that he was he was the one hurting, landing the shots that were you know that were damaging. Yeah, he could control like the bullying aspect of those exchanges. In this, it was just like, well, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to make this guy match a pace that I don't think he can keep, and come what may back at me, and that's really impressive like to me that shows that shows a kind of spirit for Cejudo that you gotta you gotta respect because it's not just like his fights against Pettis or Hayes or Camus or Carriasso where he was just clearly marching down somebody that he absolutely knew that he could physically dominate yeah no that's a great that's a great yeah that's a great point right there and, um, oh, by the way, folks, if you hear, like, chewing in the background, I apologize. My dog tends to just go hard at his bone when he realizes that I'm talking to not him. 
into a <laughs> microphone, so it's just like it's a tension thing. But uh, my my last thing on this, because uh, you know, and you know, I I, I just kind of touched on my poor read of the fight, right? And my comparison, and my my question I had going in, which wasn't a read more than a question. And and, and again, like we like you know, we, we said it, it got answered. But now yeah. leaving the fight, I guess my more macro analogy, if you will, because uh, that was just a great. Uh, breakdown in general, you, you, you laid there, Zane. But I guess my takeaway from a macro sense was it should have been not just more obvious, like everything should be more obvious in hindsight and that kind of unfair bias. But when you consider who Marlon Marais, you know, trained under and came up with and Edson Barbosa, it almost feels like we really shouldn't be surprised that like a pressuring wrestler was able to hit right hands and just use, you know, pressuring into the clinch, wh- whether it be going for takedowns or not to get his way, you know, and that was kind of, you know, from the Castillo to Varner and to, you know, uh, that, that kind of was the tale for Edson. And maybe we, we see that repeated with Marlon, but, uh, you know, that was my kind of macro analogy takeaway. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's really hard to know because the only recent wrestlers that Marlon Marais had faced were Aljamain Sterling and Jimmy Rivera, who he knocked out in under a minute each time or Sterling a minute seven. So like we hadn't seen Marlon Marais, Again, in a like against a really good wrestler, pretty much at least, especially in his modern career. You yeah, know, you can go yeah. all the way back to like 2010 or something like that when he lost a couple fights. Mm-hmm. But in his modern career, we hadn't ever really seen him in a fight where you could just be like, "Oh, this is what Marlon Marais is going to look like against a really tough wrestler." And without that read. You can guess based off a training partner and stuff like that, but, you know, I mean, like, we just saw uh, Bevan Lewis, and he trains with John Jones all the time. Like, I don't, you know, or you, you can't, like, you couldn't you couldn't judge somebody else who trained at Jackson Wink by John Jones, right, you know? Right, right, like, yeah, no, totally. Like, I, I, I can only take so much away from that. Because also, you know, Marlon Marais has trained with Frankie Edgar forever now, too. So Right, right. yeah. And, and those guys are usually pretty active, not just training together, but actually, like, Frankie will usually take the guys to the Rutgers wrestling rooms and make the rounds kind of a thing. So yeah. even though you can never assume, and I know both me and you are, are the way we kind of go about things, don't really necessarily bank on things we don't see, per se. Yeah. But, yeah, that wasn't necessarily a bad assumption. But, uh, but, but, but yeah, yeah. Um, Moving on here to the co-main event, I, I don't know if there's much to say about this one. Zane Valentina Shevchenko defeats Jessica I second round TKO. You almost forget it was a second round TKO because the finish was just so emphatic and um, mm-hmm. uh, f- you know foreboding, forecoming, whatever word you want to use. Yeah, uh, anything really, anything really to say other than that? I, I will say, aside from the kick, uh, similar to like, we can't say Donald Cerrone has an underrated ground game anymore. Kind of a thing we've been saying for yeah, years. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we could say Valentina Shevchenko has underrated wrestling. Um, no, yeah, she's. She, I mean, honestly, more than her kickboxing. I realize I'm saying this after she just got a huge KO. Right. But wrestling is the backbone of what Valentina Shevchenko does in fights. It, like, yeah, she she really likes to counter punch and counter strike. So if you you know if you come after her, she'll counter strike and she'll throw a couple a couple shots at you, but. Even that is almost always followed up by a clinch and a takedown and then top control. Like, you, you, all you have to do is go look at that Priscilla Cachoeira fight and see, like, this is a fighter that Valentina Shevchenko could ass whip with one hand on any day of the week, and she chose to wrestle her. Like, 
Yeah. That's who she is, you know? I've heard similar arguments and obviously going to be different levels, at least, you know, for the ground and maybe even for the striking, depending on how you look at it. But, you know, for like a Paul Felder, for example, as in he advertises striking, he's got some highlight reel KO, sure. But the guy actually likes to, to grapple and ground and pound quite often. And yeah. uh, and uh, it's almost like – and they actually have a very similar arsenal if you just wired one person to come forward with that arsenal and the other person to just relentlessly counter. <laughs> it's very – it's actually kind of a similar arsenal. Uh, not, not, yeah. not to get too, just, too direct, but – The difference there would be like Felder against Barboza. You know, we've seen Felder in, in kickboxing bouts where he's just happy to stay out at range and just kind of go one for one, trade one for one. Yeah. Shevchenko yeah. – she really, you know, given any opportunity, she wants to take you down and beat you up. She doesn't really want to be in a position where she might get hurt, I think. Yeah, and I think that's more clear to kind of, you know, I guess the point that I was stating at the top. Now, now that's got to be more clear to the MMA audiences. But something I noticed from breaking her down way back is if you go into her Muay Thai fights, like none of this is a, a surprise. In fact, yeah. she would uh, – because she had some judo and some – some MMA even back then. So like she would, it, it, even if she wasn't losing and the, the, the person would hit her, instead of doing the Muay Thai thing where you not only get them back, but she would get to mm-hmm. the clinch, kind of like what you're saying from no matter where, that would be her goal. Get around to the back and just punctuate her presence and put opponents on their ass. And then sometimes, even though she, you know it was clearly, she she didn't lose her balance. She's got very good balance. She did it on purpose. And yeah. she would she would land in a mount in the mount just to fucking stick it to him. Like, like yeah. and just smile. Like, I'm like, well, this, I'm like, so watching that early on, I'm like, well, this girl's fucking evil like mm-hmm. so now i think she's yeah getting more comfortable in mma space now we're kind of seeing that similar attitude to what you're saying yep but uh yeah uh, tony ferguson defeats donald Cerrone via second round tko i like you said i you kind of you know uh tease i i still think it delivered despite the ending uh and yeah I thought, it was an awesome fight for yeah. two rounds and when it ended by the time it ended it felt like everybody could see where what the fight was. I hope you know? so. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't seem like that but with all this silly rematch talk. And I know a lot of that is, you know, uh, Dana yeah. White and the bolstered UFC account, uh, you know, the day after kind of thing. But that th- that was kind of ridiculous. I don't want to tangent too much into that. Everybody knows I'm a pretty big Tony Ferguson uh I don't know about a person, but as far as just his career, when we're just talking about his career, big supporter as far as that goes. Um and uh, and yeah, man, I, you know, t- twelve wins. You already had the most impressive winning you know, streak because at, at, at lightweight, when you consider that, you know, I guess you know, Khabib's he had he had that trouble where he was making weight for a while. So I believe there's like a catchweight bout in there or some shit. <laughs> but anyways, like it, like yeah, like I don't I don't know what you can do to deny the guy. I will say though about the stoppage, the only thing I had a problem with was not the way it stopped. Again, like you said, it didn't tarnish the fight. Uh, I'm a big fan of Big Dan and all all to him. You know, he's coming off like refing like after after like a quadruple bypass surgery yep uh, savage um and i really try not to harp on the rest but that uh, you know and we, we just i think big dan's a good ref but when he gets into those situations where he doesn't see something and the ref is you know kind of put in that position where they can either assume and get away with it you know and some will kind of play off and they'll assume but they'll kind of like a herb dean will assume but he won't uh assert himself aggressively he'll kind of just have everybody be quiet while he keeps one eye to the monitor because he knows the replay is coming and he'll make his decision off of that whereas other guys like i think a big dan he panics and kind of does the thing where we saw what kind of what i think uh, natural people would do like rogan kind of did in the booth where that's blatant that's blatant like he just kind of takes that emotion and just rides one way with it whether it's right or wrong Hmm. and i I, you know i i uh and 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 i I feel like that kind of really uh kind of 
you know, it was it was, it was not, not a bad call, but then when they, I guess when they started re-engaging the round later and Cerrone, you know, it was after the, the nose blow, uh, he went to go call for a replay and it sounded like he was trying to hang the, uh, you know, the, uh, that damage to the sole late blow that he landed. And granted, you can make the point that yes, the, it did graze the nose and the nose is connected to the water ducts and that's what can flood the eye. But it just seemed, I'm like, man, it feels like it just, you know, for a guy on this, you know, we saw where the fight was going, all this stuff's on the line, a fight he didn't have to take. And aside from kicks to the body, those straight shots flicking to Cerrone's nose and eyes throughout the whole second and first round, it just felt like it would have been a real crime that if they would have reached back and then hung it on the solo late strike and there goes everything for Tony. That would have been, I don't know about that if it would have went that way. It didn't, thankfully, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I honestly will say I didn't even pay enough attention to Tandan in the uh, cage to uh, really get, you know, any read off of how he handled it or not. I, right, okay. I, I think it's just one of those situations where, you know, Cerrone, especially at this stage in his career and all that, is an, a monumentally uh, popular fighter yes as like a hardcore yeah. fan fighter for mm-hmm. especially live audiences stuff like that and so in any situation like that there's always going to be a lot of sentiment against like you know where you have a late punch a foul like that then the fight's over there's always just going to be a right. lot of bad sentiment about it and i'm glad you mentioned that too because kind of like and and on the other side of the coin like uh one of my co-hosts on uh, junkie radio said like you got Tony Ferguson, who, like, like I said, I'm a vocal supporter of his resume, but let's be honest, he doesn't exactly endear himself to the fans saying, fuck off, or whatever he was saying, like, in his thing. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people still remember Tony Ferguson as the where your kids at guy from Tough. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, I, I remember him coming off of Tough, and yeah, I was like, this guy, and this guy, he just kind of came off like as kind of like a bully asshole. I was like, oh, this is Brock's guy. This is, uh, and let, and yeah, and I, it, it was, but it was his body of work that wore me over. But yeah, neither here nor there. But it, it, I think those are good points to make because I think that's where we kind of see the, whether on the professional side of it and the broadcast itself to, of course, all the rubbish on Twitter. I think the emotions get a little too high to where it's like, okay, neither of these guys should be disrespected here, folks. Yeah, but, no, uh, they made the right call in the end. If they have to, if, if the UFC runs it back, it'll just be because they really don't feel like giving Tony Ferguson a title shot for reasons that I can't figure out. Yeah. But hopefully they don't do that and we don't. I mean, it's a cool fight. I'm not going to hate seeing the fight again, but I, I really just am getting to the point where, you know, I took some heat for this from some, ran, uh, some random fan after I, I said it on the sixth round where it's just like, I just want the fucking lightweight division to move. I want that title to get defended. I want the to feel like people are taking our people are getting lightweight title shots. That's what I want to feel like. Yes, and and it hasn't felt like that since BJ Penn lost his belt. Thank you and for saying that. It just everything since then has been like a series of rematches or these single title shots where like you know we get a yep. champion change. And then they don't fight for six or eight months, and then they get a challenger, and they win. And then they don't fight for six or eight months, and then we get a challenger, and they win. And they don't fight for six or eight months. And I just want to see this title, like, actually... I I want to see a title fight, a lightweight title fight every four or five months, you know? Great way to cap this, the the recap of this fight off because that's the direction it needs to head. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, And I was actually, I've mentioned something similar before, Zane, and it's only come back into my head recently because 
you know, the rumored, well, rumored, uh, real, I don't know what the difference at this point. Uh, they're going back to Abu Dhabi for uh, yep. Khabib. And, and, that, and if they did, like, an ESPN 30 for 30, I feel like there's not just the BJ Penn and Lightweight storyline. There's a bunch of weird storylines. Like, even, like, where you look at, like, Matt Hughes' drop-off as his career, Anderson Silva, though he may have had a weird performance before that or so. Um, like he, like a lot of weird stuff happened on that night in Abu Dhabi. But as far as the lightweight goes, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it starts moving back in that direction because I too, and again, I don't want to come off disrespecting guys like Benson or Frankie, but it was just a bunch of rematches where like, you could argue the one, you know, did that go this way? Did that go the other way? And, you know, uh, Pettis looked like there was going to be promise. I remember genuine excitement when he won, but then of course he had the injury, uh, yep. thing and like Dos Anjos honestly had like the second best title run next to BJ Penn in my opinion but it was so quick and quiet they buried yeah. they buried him under like dual title spots or like that three ridiculous three event weekend you know like yep. he never really uh, you know they never really want, aside from that one shot they were going to give him against Connor they re- you know they really weren't uh, cashing in the markability of RDA there so yeah i mean i just want to see you know and, and and see, see it kind of get back to that where, you know, even when BJ, he went up for the super fight, what did he do? He came back, he came right back down to defend the title and had some of his best performance in his career after that. Yep. Um, that's something that the guys of today aren't doing, win or lose. And that's kind of, I think, what's irking a lot of the hardcores and fans. And just last note, um, I think that, you know, when I see the, you know, the recent, they're doing the string of like Tony Ferguson's last seven opponents and they look slaughtered. Like I haven't seen people do that since kind of back to your point, since the BJ Penn days where like I would see in the sure dog forums and it would show like BJ's living room and it was like a burrito, a bong. And then it had like Joe Stevenson pulver, like all the heads mounted. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're really, they're, there aren't that many champions right now who feel like they are either dominant enough or beloved enough to build that kind of uh, aura around them, you know, and you maybe had like Max Holloway getting there and then he took a, a, all credit to him. He took a lightweight title fight that or interim lightweight title fight that he lost. And, you know, he's running back uh, you're going, not running back, but going right back down to featherweight to take another title fight there. Yep. And he's he's like he's building some of that aura for himself. Like we're we're still getting the opportunity for that. It's just it it does for a lot of divisions. It feels very much like oh you know like Robert Whitaker. I lo- I love Robert Whitaker as champ. I just want to watch him fucking fight. You know, mm-hmm. and he, I realize that's all injury stuff with him and stuff like that. But it feels very much like that's kind of where we are with titles now where it's just like we have, we have fighters that I feel like I should be really into and I'm not getting to see them often enough to be like excited. And in the meantime, I'm getting drowned. There's such a like overabundance of other fights going on that you almost, then when they do fight, it almost sneaks up on you. Like, exactly. Oh shit, that's right. That fights this with this week, you know? Yeah, yeah, and again, it's it's not just you know a thing that's thrown out there. Well, the, the, the you know Cerrone's a dying breed, or they're not like the you know the, the pens of the world where they would go fight anybody. That's true to a certain extent, but now kind of what's more important to keep in mind, like with this conversation, is that the factors around facilitating it from fighter pay, the scheduling, the negotiating that's going on, the amount yeah. of shows, like you said, like even if these fighters want to be like said fighters, like it's really tough. Like kind of back to your point, like. Yeah, it's really tough to to to, to get that kind of role going. 
And anyways, uh, closing out the main card here, Peter Yan defeated Jimmy Rivera by unanimous decision, and Lagoy, like boy, Ivanov uh, defeated Taito Ivasa by unanimous decision. Anything to say on either of those? Anything surprising? Uh, I mean, Peter Yan, him, him win, it, that was kind of a weird win for him. I, I, I hope that they, they don't... I want to see him fight like the winner of... Uh, Sandhagen versus Sun Tao. I like that. I like that. Because, yeah, yeah, I like that. Because he's calling for a title shot right now, but it's like this Jimmy Rivera fight. He kind of lost like twelve minutes of that fight. Yeah, uh, yeah, I w- I'd say I'd say about uh, three and a half, at least three and a half of each frame. Uh, yeah, like he just he lost the majority of each round, but he did the better damage and he deserved to win it. It's not like a question, but it definitely felt like I want to see like, there still needs to be a, you're, you're a top contender now. Now I don't want to see you in a top contender bout. I don't want to see, you know, I'm not saying go right to the title, give, give Sterling his shot. He he seems like he's really like the past two performances for Aljamain Sterling feel like a fighter who's ready to fight for the title, you know? Yeah. Um, Jan's young, too. It looks like you're going to get a lot of miles out yeah. of him from UFC. You're just going to get more f- highlight footage, all you're going to do, <laughs> you know? Other than that, Ivanov Tuivasa was fine. Tuivasa, unfortunately, just seems like he's headed in the Tyson Pedro mm-hmm. mold where they found this really cool, personable, fun, entertaining fighter that people really like and they're ready to ride on and just be like, yeah, no, this dude is awesome. And they're just trying to run him up the, up the, the division as quick as possible. And he's just hitting a wall. Yeah, totally. Like I did have some technical reasons for sure. Uh, like obvious ones, I guess that's yeah. to why I picked Blagoy in this fight. But to be honest, I almost didn't need them because it was one of those fights to on one side of it. Like you said, everybody, you know, it, it, it's one of those ones where you have the kind of the media darling. You can't help but like the guy, you know, obviously. Oh, yeah. And uh, and he does have. It's not like he doesn't have athletic potential. He he does. And that. Oh that, yeah, I picked I picked Tuivasa in this just purely based off of how hard he can hit and how fast he is, and just Ivanov yeah. being kind of a slow paced one strike at a time counter striker. Yeah, and then you know you you get the complete opposite where you have a guy who. His, his style is not exciting. You know, he's been called like the worst interview. Uh, you know, he's yep. not like there's nothing very endearing about this guy. Uh, aside from that ugly stab wound, looks like it's staring you in, directly into the eye when he has his shirt off. But uh, <laughs> you know, it always looks like he's midway fighting heartburn too. Like he's just in mid acid oh, yeah. ingestion constantly. But uh, yeah, that's just kind of what it is. Again, MMA showing that just forget it, all you think you know. This is just how it's going to play out. Three round heavyweights, mm-hmm. baby. Um, all right, uh, just real quick undercard. Uh, name, I'm going to name off a couple of results. Tell me if you, anything you know stuck out to you. Tatiana Suarez defeated Nina Ansaroff uh, by unanimous decision. Aljamain Sterling, kind of tying into our previous conversation, defeating Pedro Munoz uh, by unanimous decision. And Alexa Grasso defeating Karolina Kovalkiewicz um, by unanimous decision. Uh, I, I will say the the Grasso fight and, and Kovalkiewicz one didn't surprise me. But that Sterling and Munoz fight, that was the hardest one for me to pick on the card. I picked Munoz's pressure, but I wasn't confident in it. Uh, Aljamain was able to fight pretty you know, disciplined through the whole fight, which was impressive with his volume. And uh, Suarez, I think we all know what happened, but I guess it comes down to how much credence do you give the neck injury. 
Uh, I'm willing to wait and see on her just to see what she does next. Uh, I'm okay with her not fighting for the title next. Yeah, I mean, the I, the thing with me with the neck injury would be like, e- even if you want to just call that the reason behind that performance, how much faith do you put in her not getting another neck injury? Because once you have like neck injuries, they don't like that's not a problem that's easily solved, you know? Right. It's yeah. not like a it, it's not a muscle tear. It's not just a like. Oh, you know, yeah, I broke my foot, broke my hand, whatever, broke my arm, whatever. It'll heal up. That could like that could be a hindering factor for the rest of her career. Yeah, I um, mean, real quick, I, mean, I was just watching some footage for some of the the top five we're about to tackle, and uh, you know, just hearing them. Oh, Mark Coleman had to pull out of this fight because. He had a severe neck stinger with against Kevin Randleman, and like you would just hear, and then you're like, "Oh wait, this is around. Oh yeah, this is around the time where that guy drops off." And you see yeah. all these wrestlers that stop going. One of my canaries in a coal mine: why wrestlers stop going for takedowns, no matter their style mm-hmm. or success, as they get older. And my quiet things just because of injured the injuries that they don't talk about. And yep. kind of to your point that you were getting to, didn't mean to cut you off, but even at her best, we haven't seen her show the tools that make you confident in picking her to even win a points match if she gets stuck on her feet. Oh, yeah, no, if she got stuck on her feet, I mean, Ansaroff almost, if that fight had been another minute, two minutes longer, Ansaroff probably would have finished it. Mm-hmm. Like, they one round of her stuck on her feet and she almost got TKO'd. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's like, I'm not, you know, I, I honestly, I want to see Suarez, yeah, I want to see her in a, in a top contender's bout. I would watch her like I want to. I want to see her fight Joanna, honestly. Like that. That might be a harder fight a than Andrade. Okay. It might be a harder fight, but if she's ready, she's ready. And if she's not, then this is the learning experience fight. This is the fight where you get that hard check that says, you know, the Cejudo check, where it's like, no, actually, you need to go back to the drawing board. Yeah. And, and if Yoana wins that, then, you know, obviously Yoana Andrade, too, is a fight that needs to happen. Yeah. So I, I, I want to see her take a top contender bout. I want to see her in a really tough five-round fight. Yeah, um, that'll be that'll be good. And so, yeah, I'm also not, like, I'm not sold. This, this did not sell me Tatiana Suarez must fight for a title right this minute. Same here. And don't get me wrong. If she would have done a, a Carla Esparza 2 performance, then I probably would have been on the hype train with, with everybody. Oh, yeah. Else. So don't get if me wrong there. If she just gone out and pounded answer off out in a round or, and submitted her, I'd be like, shit, yeah, go for it. But you to, know? Yeah, but to your argument, this actually could be much better in hindsight, especially I like that, yeah. that Henry Cejudo reference. I was going to say a name like Claudia Gadelli on the same lines, but I think they t- there's a tough coach or something, Link. Although you could argue if you're looking to get a headline, um, throwing sure. that on top of a Brazil card is probably much more, you know, it won't be the biggest draw, but I would say that's much more realistic than any, you know, a lot of other markets, I would say. Uh, otherwise, yeah, Aljo looks, he looks phenomenal. He looks ready. He looks like the best fighter he's, he looks like the best fighter he's ever going to be. Yep, yep. And I want to see him in a title fight. I want to see him fighting the best in the world right now because this looks like like this is looks like the absolute prime of his career. Yeah. And my feeling on Kowalkovich Grasso honestly is that it just seems like maybe uh Carolina's been kind of solved. That was my fear going into this. Yep. And 
that's what this looked like. I, I almost didn't have to do anything but look at her Instagram ahead of this fight and just see her training at the same places with the same people. And and the training photos were all healthfully balanced out with fashion and shopping photos and not being mean or pick. I love Carolina Kovalkiewicz, but sometimes you can kind of just see like certain patterns and I'm like, okay, I'm not seeing her change. It doesn't look like she's really doing anything to change here. And that kind of was the case, you know. Again, Grasso's been hit and miss on certain things, but she's young. She's got the potential. So it felt like a yeah, bit of a I, wild card. But I'm like, I'll, I guess I'll side with her potential improvements over someone who just keeps staying the same. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't willing to to jump in just because she hasn't fought. She's fought so yes, rarely, and yes. like even even her best wins before that were close mm-hmm. and ugly. Oh yeah. So. It was just kind of like, well, if if she's going to get into a gritty, ugly, close fight with Kovalkiewicz, I'll still take Carolina to win that. She's she's got the grit. She's tough. I know how. I know she can just march in and like go after. And I thought she'd honestly, I thought she'd do really well in the clinch. But Grasso just ate her alive there, and that to me really is the part that makes me feel like a fighter who's been solved. Yeah, is that. You know, Grasso could clearly watch the tape of how Kovalkiewicz approaches the clinch, how she walks into range, all these pieces, and she just had answers for every one of them at every point. Yeah. Maybe you're... Sorry, go Watterson ahead. did too before this. So it's not even just a one-fight thing. It's, you know, we've now seen two fighters who just absolutely had an answer for everything that she wanted to do. Yeah, and maybe to your point, maybe that that was the title on the line here. It was the new uh, ugly close fighter. Uh, <laughs> you know, fight a ugly or close fighter. I can't, I can't forget. I forget how you worded it, but yeah, you get the point there. All right, Calvin Guitar, uh, Calvin Keita defeated uh, Rick Lamas via first round KO. Yan Jianan defeated Angela Hill unanimous decision, and uh, Darren Stewart defeated Bevon Lewis unanimous decision. Um, any of those surprising to you? Maybe one, maybe two. I don't know. Uh, I mean, you could say Stuart Lewis, but the, the the surprise there was honestly that Lewis just he seemed totally unprepared for Stuart's physicality. Yeah. And, but beyond that, like he's not a good he, you know, neither of them are good enough that I would I'm really shocked of like either of them losing. They they don't have the the track record of top performances for me to be like. Oh well, Bevan Lewis. I can't. I couldn't have imagined him losing. I was. I was sure this was a good fight for him because I thought he'd do well in the clinch where he loves to fight. But every time he got there, Stewart just kind of manhandled him and kind of took the fight out of Lewis. So. Yeah. No. Totally. I, I actually picked Stewart, but I, I can't even like be proud of that fact because this was a void list all day. Like this was not like, the only reason I ended up picking Stewart. Like he was the less talented fighter on paper or l- less at- athletic ceiling, you know, skill ceiling. Uh-huh. But it just we've seen them both gas out and give fights away. I just feel like Darren Stewart's been in those kind of shit storms way more win or lose. So I'm like, I'll just go with the guy that's been there more. That was really it. So. Yeah, I, I thought that Stewart was the more mentally breakable one. So that was. I, 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 I don't blame my you there. Yeah, I don't blame. We've seen that too for sure. Uh, yeah. I, and again, my, my I took a, another kind of dog flyer that had gone on, on Rick Lamas there, and uh, that was just a oh, bad yeah, pick. No. It was funny, like you, I go, we were talking about it. Like you go back and 
my coach was saying, he's like, you go back and you listen to your breakdown. You kind of picked how Calvin Cater was going to beat Ricardo Lamas because of those damn naked leg kicks he throws. Because whatever it is, you notice that about those MMA master guys, like their Capoeira striking guy, like he can't get it out of his head to have his guys throw naked leg kicks no matter how many times Cesar Fajeda or like Ricardo Lamas get knocked out for it. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's a little unfair jab at them, but that's just something I I can't help but keep. Noticing. No, it's it's fair. I mean, my thing that I the reason I picked Cater was really honestly just that Lamas tends to lose to composed fighters. Mm. He he's a really great opportunist, but he's never been the best striker in his division. He's never been even while being a very very good grappler. That's definitely where he's best. He's never been like the best grappler. It's not like oh you got Ricardo Lamas and you know you you got Ricardo Lamas in there. If he hits the mat, you're subbed. Like you're done. Right. You know he's not that kind of grappler. He's not that kind of wrestler. Even as a good wrestler, he's good at everything. Yeah. But you give him an opponent who's just not going to fuck up. Yeah. And those guys have always tended to beat him. That's true. Yeah, even as better grapplers, quote unquote, as Elkins or Oliveira are on paper, then they uh, make lots of mistakes. They yeah. give lots of opportunities. They're willing to go there where Cater uh, wasn't. So yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't think uh, Chung Lee defeating Angie uh, Angie Hill uh, surprised anybody. I'm Asian, by the way, folks. Nope. I can make those jokes. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then finishing out the card, Eddie Wyland defeats Grigory Popoff via second round TKO. I'm uh, glad I was wrong on that one. I just took a shot on the dog because that was just a void list all day for me. Uh, and then Caitlin Chukagan defeated Joanne Calderwood. I picked JoJo in that fight to win. I can't really say I'm too arguable about the score. I feel like I just got washed out with the weird volume slash lack of landed volume at times. I don't know. But... Well, and also you got to look at Calderwood. Like that syndicate gym, they seem like they've done a really good job prepping people lately. Yep. And Caitlin Chukagan is a very preppable fighter. Mm-hmm. She's somebody that has a very clear mode of how she fights. And Calderwood did outland her. Yeah. She she actually, like, by the stats, she right. outlanded her by, like, 20 strikes. Right. It's just they weren't the more meaningful strikes. And she got stuck out at range too much where Calderwood's always, always been kind of a defensive sieve. And... That ended up being the problem. Even while she could, even while she could kick Chukagin's legs apart, she couldn't do enough damage to make that really count. It was a close fight. I I knew that Chukagin was likely going to be the winner just based on being a good point, a good, being a good round winning front front runner that you actually kind of have to take out of the fight in order to stop her from looking good for the judges, mm-hmm. but. I thought Calderwood might be able to do it, and yeah, she couldn't. It it happens. It's going to be, you know, I, I, I'm not eager to see Chukagin in a title fight, but it's going to be tough for a lot of the women in that division to beat her just because she can throw a bunch of volume and she will, you know, it's like the Cater thing. Chukagin doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Uh-huh. She may not do a lot that damages people. She may not do a lot to change the fight, take it somewhere else, grapple, whatever. But she's also just not going to give a lot of really easy stuff away. So you have to go out and beat her. Totally. That's why I've taken her in the past just because of volume, whether it be effective or not. Though I did get burned, and this is kind of relevant, when I picked her and played her against one Liz Carmouche. Who I actually think if she gets past her next, uh, I think she's got Roxy. Uh, if she gets mm-hmm. past her next test, I think that's the only 
real challenge from the flyweight division. I could say that I could actually legitimately get somewhat um, excited for for Shevchenko to face because she's got the win over the TKO retirement early in the career, and just Liz is just one of those freakishly uh, strong physical forces, which Valentina is, and there's not many of in that division. So, anyways. Uh, Zane, just real quick, I'm going to touch on Bellator 222 before we go to our top five. Cool. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so just real quick, uh, just just some. I just wanted to acknowledge its existence. They got a pretty decent card from top to bottom. Weird card placement. Uh, we got guys like Ricky Bandejas coming out. Uh, Dylan Dan is coming back. Uh, Aaron Pico coming back, maybe a little too fast for some. Heather Hardy, etc. Uh, I will just say to plug to my listeners, I got some new style of videos. Go check out. They should be dropping this week on MMA Junkie with uh, written breakdowns actually for all three. I'm doing uh, the Bantamweight title fight, Eduardo Dantes. Not Eduardo, I'm sorry. Darian Caldwell versus Kyoji Araguchi 2. Uh, I'm actually taking the Gooch um, in that rematch um, as well. Uh, Leoto Machida versus Chael Sonnen, which I probably would have picked Leoto Machida like, at, at all times, uh, except, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking kind of along the Chuck Tito lines that sometimes, you know, I think the, the grappler just ages better, whereas the counter-striking speed guy ages poorly. And uh, I was at Machida's last fight, and I just was not impressed with that win. He just really looks like he's really, really got hit in that, that next level, unfortunately. Whereas Chael, not like you can depend on him, but yeah, just spoiler there, I guess. And then uh, another spoiler, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm, you call me crazy here. I'm actually taking Neiman Gracie to beat Roy McDonald, and it's admittedly a fade on Roy McDonald's current mental status, not his skills as a martial artist. But yeah, any comments there, Zane? No, I mean, well, I, I can't call you crazy on that just because, A, the, I mean, the two parts of that that make me feel like that's not the craziest thing in the world not sure I would take it, but that it's not the craziest thing in the world is that, A, yeah, Rory doesn't seem like he, even by his own admission, he doesn't seem like he likes fighting that much anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's always a huge, you know, that's always a problem because then you have to wonder what what will it take to happen in the fight to make this person not want to fight anymore? So you, you, you think of like Jordan Meehan. Mm-hmm. And, like, one of the things Connor has always said about Jordan Meehan that I think is probably true is that it doesn't really seem like Jordan Meehan likes fighting. Yeah. And like, maybe his dad just pushed him into it forever, and so that's what he does now. That's a great, that's a great, that's a great, you know, that's, a, that's actually a really great uh, analogy right there. Yeah. Cause, I got like, that vibe, too, and, and I've actually had Jordan Meehan, and his, he, they came uh, to Extreme Couture and actually in our grappling team for a second to try to try everything out and... For, for, for a brief minute, I got that vibe. Anyways, go on. Yeah, just because, like, you know, something will happen in a Jordan Meehan fight. It'll get hard. And you just see – you we've seen multiple times in fights where it's just like, did he just kind of quit? Yeah. Did he just, did he just stop fighting? Because that's how it seems. And, and, and I hate the quitting thing because, again, it's like the fighter being scared thing. It just – It's it, not it, being it, scared. It, this it, isn't a scared yes, thing. Yeah, it comes off just as ignorant, you know, because a lot of it's yeah. more intent than wording and the definition of the word, right? So I, yeah. I definitely don't want to get those confused with what we're talking about here. But by by to what you're saying, that is much more common uh, than we think, even us, yeah. uh, us more educated fans. Uh, especially, you know, you want to quit all the time. Something Chael Sonnen, I believe he, he phrased it all. He was, quitting yeah. is always an option. I, I, I love that yep. thing from him. And, uh, and yeah, even uh, like listen to – I don't know if you caught King Mo's uh, interview with uh, Ariel this week, but he was talking about 
he he actually referenced Rory and he said, I actually felt that way through the last few fights of my career and didn't want to come to grips with it. Because if you think about it, that's the last thing you want to even, you can't vocalize to yourself, much less to anyone else. If, if that's yeah. your job, you're, you're a fighter. I mean, that feeling could be very uh, much more common and much more explainable, maybe even in certain aspects, you know? Uh, yeah, you and you know, you go back to for a couple of fights for Rory to that Thompson fight uh, right after the Lawler fight, mm-hmm. or, or a year after the Lawler fight, and like there was a moment in that fight where he got hit in the nose again, and he yes. just checked out of that fight. You see him, you saw him freeze. Yeah, I remember yep. that. And from, and uh, his wins since then have been the the notice the notable thing about his win since then is that they've been very grappling heavy. Mm-hmm. He's gone from somebody who used to just want to be like wide stance, pump the jab, will take you down and grapple if he needs to, if he feels like that'll change the dynamic of the fight well for him. Mm-hmm. But very much like you know, you know, you didn't think of Rory McDonald on his way up as like a dude who grapples all the time. No, no, that's where we saw him actually lose the one lone fight for a while, which was on the ground against Carlos Condit at the very end there. Yeah, and so it was something that, like, it was just something he would do as part of his game. It was not the picture. Definitely by the time you got to that Tyron Woodley fight, you know, that was very, like, you just saw Rory McDonald, like, I'm just going to sit on my jab and work behind it. Right. And, and uh, go ahead. I was going to say, so if you have a Roy McDonald now who can check out of fights, is more interested in trying to out-grapple and outwork people than ever that way, then putting him in against a really good, talented grappler is like a great way for him to get a huge upset loss. And a guy who can grapple at pace, which I would argue we yeah. saw against Ed Ruth. Uh, for all that you can counter the, the the praise and, and criticize Ed Ruth. I don't think you can criticize that. He offered a stern test as far as that goes. His submission defense, wrestling ability, and even though he yeah. was getting tired, he was still offering the pace to show that Neiman was able to fight at a superior pace. But uh, just the last thing I will say from a technical side uh, and, and kind of tying into the grappling dependency, it's a tricky sample size. Like both this is the same reason why I'm picking Neiman is for Chael here against Lyoto. Like both have always, even in the latter parts of their career, maintained a decent to really good takedown defense, right, from different mm-hmm. positions. They're competent in, multiple, in the open, against the cage. They're no slouch, and they've worked on that, both. But especially Machida more so because you couldn't even pin him down back on the day. Like so many yeah. more fighters are able just to pin him down. Even guys like Carvalho who don't have the, the greatest footwork, albeit that he's long, he's not a grappler or a strong guy, uh, you know, strong in that sense. And I'm like, okay, if all these guys are getting him to the fence, like, Chael's going to make hay in those positions, so I just ended up changing kind of last minute to him. And then the same with McDonald. You, you, he's always eager to grapple, but his grappling are decepting because really, it, how many fights can you think of where guys were trying to take him down? Even guys that were uh, suited to to do so on paper, like you mentioned Tyron Woodley. Uh, you know, the way those fights played out and the game plan McDonald had, he ended up getting the jump and completely shut that part of his game down. Whereas, you know, the seldom guys that wanted to, back to the last jiu-jitsu specialist he faced, Damian Maya, was actually able to do that, uh, take him down whenever he went to a second chain. McDonald's always good about defending the first, but guys tend to get him down on the second one. Now, of course, Maya, as he kind of tended to do, ran out of gas. So I guess, you know, not just a complete mental fate. I, I, I do see some... Some physical pathways, if, like you said, if McDonald's going to, especially if McDonald's going to humor the grappling like he did with 
with Fitch where it became real apparent, you know, that he's going to do that. Even if he can hurt the guy, he's he's still going to give him some chances there. Yeah. So that yeah, I, I I'm not sure exactly who I'm picking in that fight yet. I haven't done enough tape study just on their current fights, like you know, just rewatching their last stuff or their last few bouts. But I'm not. I don't think it's crazy at all to look at Roy McDonald in a fight against any kind of extreme specialist and think, oh, how much do I trust this right now? Like. Mm-hmm. You know, you put him in there against just like a really powerful kickboxer or a really dominating wrestler or a really good grappler. You think, well, if he gets really punished in any one of these areas, how much do I trust him to just pull this fight out? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Well, we'll have to see uh, this weekend for that one. And uh, wow. Sorry, that went a little bit longer. So let's just take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to break down our top five heavyweight wars in MMA right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. Right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast with the top five heavyweight wars in MMA with Zane Simon. We went a bit long on the recap. There are lots to talk about, uh, but let's get right into the heavyweights. We we kind of touched it on. We touched about it on the top, Zane. Maybe you know on mic, maybe off mic, but essentially this was this was kind of a weird one. I had essentially yep. my top three, or, uh, three or four, pretty much locked in here. Had trouble, though, uh, finding my number five. It was the last edition. How did you feel about researching this list? This was a lot easier for me from the bottom up. Okay. All right. Say. All right. Like, it's easier for me to think of really bad heavyweight fights that were really awesome and fun than it is really great high-level heavyweight fights that were just, like, brutal back-and-forth contests. For you sure. know? For sure. I think that's that's the thing for me is that like I can think you know you think of something like and maybe this will be on your list or something but you think of like JDS versus Velasquez uh, two mm-hmm. and like it's a brutal fight but it's kind of mostly a brutal fight because it's Judo Santos getting brutalized yeah yeah I. I kind of had a little bit of that for my number five, and maybe that's a good segue to maybe jump in here. Yeah. Um, usually, I let the guests go first, but you've done this enough. Uh, we'll do a yeah. Chinese, we'll do a Chinese fire drill, and, you, and and so you can close out the list going first. Same, but just on that note, because that's kind of perfect. I felt that way for my number five, and it wasn't even as, and I feel even more guilty as this for my number five, which probably you know portends to why I had such trouble picking my number five. Was that not only what you, could you argue a similar thing to the JDS? And Kane, which by the way, you're not you're not burning. I didn't have any of those on my list um, because it's one guy. But this one wasn't even really as physically grueling. But I just remember it being a fun fight. Now I may have been, you know, having cracking a nice beer, uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I just remember this day really vividly. Like it was just a really good day. It was a good time in life. You know, sometimes you have personal <laughs> memories attached to these things. So there might be a little bit of that bias, but. 
maybe it was the buzz I had going, but I still enjoy this fight when I go back and rewatch it, Zane. That's Travis Brown versus Fabricio Verdum. Their first fight, of course, not their second one. UFC on Fox 11. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Brown versus Verdum, both their fights are their own particular brands of weird and yes. dumb and fun. Like, yes. <laughs> They, you know, because it was sort of like the first one. I think I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, the first one was was just where Verdum decided to be as weird as possible. He he, uh, it, it was a big thing because he was like a two to one underdog going into that, which seems kind of yeah. crazy in retrospect. And Travis Brown had never been taken down before. That was the biggest thing because they're building him up to face yeah. Kane after this. That was going to be the next step. And uh, Fabricio Verdum is is using his wrestling better than he's ever used it in the past. Maybe before his back stuff started flaring up, and he's like mm-hmm. scoring takedowns on Travis Brown. And his, I don't know about you, but his kickboxing, in my opinion, really looked like it finally turned a corner. You know, uh, wasn't you know he he moved past those weird Alistair Overeem strike force performances, um, and his kickboxing really was coming into his own. He was doing like kip ups and like body kicks yep. and all these like he was just having so much fun in there. Like I, I can't imagine Fabricio Verdum having he's had more important performances and better finishes because there was no finish in this fight. But I would argue this is one of his best like overall just performances. So- I'm trying to remember, get these straight in my head. So one of them, I remember, it was basically Verdum, my feeling was Verdum just to- totally flummoxed Brown with how weird he was, like how off rhythm and doing all sorts of like the flying knee and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The sidekick. And then with and then the random blitzes. Fought, what? Random blitzes. Yeah. Yep. And then the next time they fought... He just kept, was like, okay, I'll just be more, I'll just be technically better than you, and just basically just outfight it, outfought him purely, just on a simple, straightforward fight. Yeah, he snapped his finger back, remember, and then could, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gross. Okay, so I got that all right. Yes, that yeah. first fight. I mean, it it really is all probably the most ideal Fabricio Verdun performance because it's really just like it's a combination of technique and then all of his dumb strange personality of like well not dumb like just you know playing dumb the whole like goofy clown kind of thing all into one one fight yep 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 and and yeah so i, I ended up going with that one i didn't go with uh, other ones that may have featured like a non-heavyweight we were talking about where there were some weird open weights and non-heavyweights that weren't traditionally heavyweights fighting heavyweights like in pride i I almost went with one of those for my number five. What did you end up settling with your number five, though, Zane? Well, I, I came into this feeling that the list was pretty much solidified. I mean, you got, like, you know, Bob Sapp versus Akebono. You got uh, Todd Duffy versus Mike Russo. You got your uh, Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis. Oh, you got Christ. your, uh, Gabe you Gonzaga know, versus um, Constantine Yurokin. Yeah, yeah. The, hair, the, the, hairiest, the hairiest heavyweight and, fight ever. Mm-hmm. And then way up at the top, <laughs> you've got, um, oh, man, it just slipped straight out of my head now. I ruined it, sorry. <laughs> you did, but no. Uh, anyway, you know, we got, like, all these classics out here, so we've already gone a little off that. But for real, though, um, honestly, my my number five, was I was trying to look I wanted to get some stuff in there that I just was not would not come like actual cool hard fights that 
took a lot of, you know, took some digging and stuff like that. And one of them that I came across that I just immediately fell in love with rewatching it was Josh Barnett versus Alex Emelianenko. Oh, wow. In pride. Wow. I didn't, yeah, I totally slipped and, this one. I, I forgot about this one. And that fight is just fucking brutal. Yeah, it is. Fuck it yeah, is it just is. like, you know, uh, from the, the from moment go, it is just Alex Emelianenko fucking Josh Barnett up. Just absolutely taking him to task. It's like if Josh Barnett took his last piece of prison bread and Alexander Emelianenko was yes. very upset about it. Sorry, go on. Yeah, this is pure prison yard fight stuff. And, you know, Emelianenko, you forget when you don't, you know, when you don't go back and watch, like, when you when you just only think of the crazy, insane asshole he became. Yeah. You have to go back and see how he fought in his prime and just how incredibly fast and powerful he was. Just an absurd, like for heavyweight, absurdly fast. And Barnett was not at all ready for that. But he stuck the fuck to it and stayed tough and kept swinging punches and kept, like, just pressing the action on Emelianenko, got him tired, and in the second round, hit a takedown, was able to get him down, and just started dropping knees on his head. Just like five of them and then some follow-up hammer fists to end the fight. And it's just a hell of a brutal whirlwind of a fight. What? I know they're pretty cool now or whatever. And they've been cool for a minute. Uh, Josh and Fedor, Alexander's mm-hmm. brother, 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 obviously. I wonder what the relationship was like. I'm just, you know, thinking back to how, how brutal that fight was. What was their relationship like then? And was that ironically the thing that strengthened it and like got Fedor's respect for like, Hey, you have my respect. You just fucking, <laughs> Went to Maybe war. it's just, it, it's just too bad that we never actually got to see, uh, you know, like it, 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 it feel, like we never got to see Barnett and Fedor fight, yeah. which always feels like a shame. Affliction three, baby, R.I.P. Yeah, no, totally, totally. No, that that, that was a good number. That was a good number five. Uh, I'm gonna go with the number four here. You know, some of them are you know can go five round distance like my number five did, right? Uh, and some of them can add some more in the middle, like yours did. Some of them can just maybe feel like it's a flash in the pan, but it was good enough to make this list because it, it, it may be a given. But uh, Andre Arlovsky versus Travis Brown at UFC 187. Did that that make your list at all, Zane? Mm-mm. No. That uh, maybe it was just was just the, the you know the hype and the uh, you know you weren't sure what to expect. Because let's be honest, I, I, I like Orlovsky. I've been following his career longer than most. But it's not exactly a guy you're going to depend on for action in the later parts of his career, you know? Uh-huh. They're usually going to be kind of drawn-out kickboxing affairs that just look really more intense than they end up being played out to be. Um, and and especially sometimes when you get the former training partners, there's just going to be a weird decision. You get a lot of weird fights sometimes, right? Uh, when you have former training partners. And this was maybe a weird fight in the sense that it was just ended up being fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of talk about who got the better of who uh, in the uh, in in the room, but um, it was just an ass backwards fight. Both guys were kind of going down. Uh, Trav, Tra- <laughs> I believe, Arlovsky brings up brings back uh, the back fist for a second, gives that some nice popularity, and, and gets Joe Rogan to pop about it. 
Mm-hmm. And it was just an insane kind of back and forth uh, fight. And you look in retrospect, a highlight of this uh, weird run that Orlovsky was on and it ended up being his last uh, his last chance at a title run there before Miocic got him. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, I mean, that's the, the thing. great thing about a fighter like Travis Brown in the UFC, because you've thrown him into a couple of bouts now. Yeah. Uh, you're early, too. Yeah, right? Wow, it, I noticed that. Is that he had that that perfect heavyweight quality of being huge and seeming and like aggressive and seeming totally like seeming like a you know terrifying violent person who was also incredibly breakable. I think it's uh, Phil McKenzie, one of our one of my co-hosts for Depressed Us, who says that. Travis Brown, he has an uncanny ability to lose by the one thing that his opponent does well. You know, if it's... Yeah, it's no, totally, if it's, yeah. If it's Heratonoff, it's like, oh, well, I guess I better fall into this weird choke. <laughs> it's, you know, if it's Derek Lewis, it's like, oh, I can hit him and beat him to the body and just be whipping his ass, and then I'm just going to let him hit me with, like, one big shot. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, yeah, that's like, my God. It makes Travis Brown fights thrilling, you know. They're always they're always a shitload of fun. The wobbly deer leg effect. Yeah, oh, he's wobbly. He's wobbling. Like, yeah, that's a, get out of there, Travis. Sorry, <laughs> that's one of the. <laughs> By the way, real quick, Zane, what fight does Mauro Ronaldo do? That I feel like I'm in Thailand. Oh, I have no idea. I can't no, remember that fight I can't. to save my life. Sorry, I thought I thought it was Fry Dakiyama, but anyways. Um, wow, no, no, yeah, yeah, no, totally, you're right, I didn't even realize that I put him back to back there, look at that, Jesus, well, well, that is my, what's up? Oh, nothing. I was gonna say, that is my number four, if you want to take the yep. reins and, and shoot me what you got uh, for your, your All right. four spot. My number four is a, is a classic coming of age fight, and, uh, one of the, one of the, one of those, like, legacy making fights if you want to if only he hadn't spent the rest of his career getting injured mm. and that's kane velasquez check congo oh nice yeah classic which is just a brutal fucking fight because from like you know obviously this is like core cardio kane coming up just the hardcore grindiest wrestler who will drop all the volume on you every time he can get you down. And he gets absolutely flattened at the beginning of this fight. And the whole fight is marked by him going, running in, getting these takedowns, putting all this pressure on, letting Congo up for like a half a second every three minutes and getting flattened every single time he does. Yeah, and this was the fight, too, where they were really starting to really put a push on Kane. He might have gotten two yep. or three finishes at that time. And you could tell they were really trying to put this push because I was like, who is it? Even someone who watched the cards and as much as the undercard as you could watch at that time. Uh, even me, I was like, yeah, I've seen this guy's name on the results pages and shit, but it yeah. really didn't pop out. And they were really making a push for this fight. I remember they were doing the TV spots on Spike. You know, mm-hmm. Kane Velasquez versus Czech Congo. And, you know... uh uh, those old like spiked spots and yeah man that that was a classic one uh, i point to that one a lot i think i i referenced that for like uh i think when uh i referenced that fight a lot when uh curtis blades was gonna fight francis Ngannou for the first time i said i think this could look like a because that just is a classic example to me uh, of a yeah. type of a fight so that's a, that's it's, a good pull and it's also like back at the point where before congo was just known as the dude who would clinch you to death and then knee, knee you. you in the balls <laughs> 
this was like, you know, when he came to the UFC as like, oh, he's a kickboxer. He's a, you know, look at this Adonis of a man who can, he was a power striker. And he, you know, it was, it was a great, it was like just a great encapsulation of exactly what both men were at the time. Definitely, man. Definitely. And a uh, brutal fight for both guys. Do you want to do a Chinese fire drill, sir, and fire off what you got for your number three? All right, number three, and I had to give the a little space just because it was, you know, I I didn't want to top, I didn't want to smash my top uh, top three with two two of the same fighter, or you know, my top two. Okay. And number three is G, uh, JDS Hunt. Nice. I'm glad you brought this one up. Just. Right core in the air in the in the Mark Hunt for you know the tit- get Mark Hunt a title shot era oh, of yeah. Mark Hunt, and he was clicking on all cylinders. His game was sharp. He was as technical as he could get as a boxer. He didn't have that. He didn't have quite the same insane. Like you watch old Mark Hunt fights and you're like, who is this superhuman? If you especially like you watch his old kickboxing bouts. Oh yeah. It's you know it's clearly he's still get, he's getting older but he still had that perfect speed change where he could just be like this slow power punch and just kind of ambling dude and then he would just crack an uppercut or a hook that came at a mile a minute and yep. this was a great this was a bounce back fight for JDS too it was where you know he'd had his cane bouts and people were like oh is Junior Dos Santos washed up. Does he know like how to fix any of his problems? Yep. And he came out there with all the spin kicks and all the like, and it just it was a fun fun fight. Oh, you Mike Tyson was a uh, cage side for that that night too. So all the fighters yep. were getting extra crazy. I think like Teixeira finished like uh, what was his name Tahuna before that and was like coming mm-hmm. over to Tyson. But this one, you're right. He was uh, and Hunt was catching JDS early with that timing, and this heart broke. This match broke my heart when it was made because I was one of those guys like get yep. Mark Hunt to the title shot, but I was also a big JDS fan. Oh yeah, so How it was not be a it, big JDS fan. It was so tough, and what was I, I will be honest, I was probably rooting more for Hunt just to have his shot. And yep. what, what was sad was, um, you know, if you were to pick him in an upset there, you know, catching him on a change and with a left hook or whatever, he was kind of showing working his way there early. But I don't know if you, you, you caught this, and I don't, I don't hear it talked about. And I remember, I. I I remember got it down to the, the minute. I think it was a minute and 38 seconds into the first round. But this would kind of spark off the first of many uh, Mark Hunt, despite his th- them commenting how big his legs are, but him actually having a bad trend of taking damage on his legs. And mm-hmm. he broke his toe back really nasty, looking like the John Jones one. And yeah. you almost see it where he's, he's stepping, and there's splotches of blood where he's stepping, even in the first round. It's bleeding so bad. And you see his movement is actually slightly hindered from that point on. He pushes through mm-hmm. it because he's an animal. And I'm not saying that JDS wouldn't have won uh, or even wouldn't have knocked him out uh, anyways, but I, I will say that was extra heartbreaking because I, w- I remember going back and watching and going, son of a bitch, he wasn't even healthy for most of those fucking rounds. He's just pushing through on one toe. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I, I do remember, you know, I'm, I, you're, you're making me dig through my past memory of that, but yes, I do remember his, his movement getting hampered early on. And, and not taking anything away by by by, no. by the way, but just saying it like, oh, it was brutal. Yeah, but like that's what you want out of a, out of if you're talking heavyweight wars, you're talking like heavyweight all time great, just yeah. dude, two dudes throwing down. 
you know, there's got to be damage in there. And uh, that's also, you know, a, a high pace and at a technical caliber. That's very both are very rare in the heavyweight division. Yeah. All right. My number three is probably my oldest one. Uh, this goes back to when I was a junior in high school, 2001, Zane. We're going all the way back to UFC 31. That's right. You thought you could avoid Randy Couture, but I brought you on this this this, uh, this topic for a reason, right, Zane? I got, I got Randy Couture versus Pedro Hizel one UFC 31. If you didn't throw some Randy Couture in there, I was going to wonder. I, it's a heavyweight, all-time heavyweight fights, and you're a Randy Couture mark. I, I didn't even... I didn't even go look at any one Randy Couture fight because I just thought the only thing that he that Dan's going to come with is a list of Randy Couture fights, and if I, I I don't need to I don't need to double up on that. Oh my god, Jesus! Yeah, I uh, guilty, definitely guilty. Uh, if anybody calls me out of my Randy Couture love or random analogies uh, or, or references that always seem very Couture-centric, it is Zane. So I had to hit him with at least one, but I did want to do somewhat of a service to my listeners and not just talk about you know his fight with Gabe Gonzaga or um, you know even his fight with with, uh, with with Nogueira, which was a fun one I watched earlier this morning. Uh, even though he lost that one, I was I always love watching that fight. Big big Nogueira fan as well. But no, um, this one for historical purposes, you know, it was a it was a really important fight. Not you know just uh, the importance of you know leg kicks and how how kicks are scored, which will be a controversy that still goes on today, even in our more advanced stages. You know, uh, even Randy Couture admitted himself it was a close fight, which they had to go run it back right after. And Randy Couture still to this day uh, has issues with his leg and muscle indentations on his leg. Thanks to those Pedro Hizo leg kicks that he landed. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was just a real brief recap. Just Randy Couture pretty much just takes it to him, takes him down after eating a couple knees and uh, to the body, which is funny. You would see Couture getting dropped to the body. It would become a theme after this fight. You know, we would see it later on in fights like the Noguera fight or the Vera fight. Um, but he gets dropped to the body, takes, you know, Hizo down, empties his tank, almost finishing him. Uh, then he almost, he's just gassed and he's a sitting target getting pegged in round two. And it just gets uglier as the fight goes on and the pace actually kind of slowens. But it's it's a really good card uh, as far as UFC history goes. It really takes a step up. I would argue this is, you know, kind of the newer Zufa era. I think BJ Penn made his debut on this card. And this was the headlining fight and it was a really, and especially for those times as far as the UFC goes, this was really one, you know, one of its best battles, um, you could argue, that happened, mm-hmm. especially in the heavyweight division. And uh, it was a classic. Obviously, Pedro Hizzo maybe didn't go on to accomplish as much as Couture, but he is a, definitely a respected name who you still see in corners today, and and that made my list. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, like, those classic, you know, Hizzo and Couture and even Sylvia. Like, I went and watched mm-hmm. Tim, uh, Tim Sylvia versus Cabbage Coet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that fight is a fucking brawl. It only like it's a brawl for five minutes, and then it's three minutes, and then Sylvia just whipping Carrera's ass the rest of the time. But correct me if I'm wrong, but the commentary, which is probably like this for most cabbage fights, but even in the UFC at that point, they were just like it was so comical, like you could almost hear them laughing, like oh, it's okay, he's cabbage, that's what he does, he's gonna get hit in the head. Like that was the commentary yeah. for a cabbage fight. Yeah. Uh. Anyways. Uh. Number two, sir. What did, what did you have for your number two? That's where we're at now. Yeah. Well, my number two is a a, a legendary fight that we just – it's a shame we never got to saw it, see it again at the point where it should have happened like four times. 
but at least we got one amazing fight out of it. And I think I brought it up on our championship fight breakdown, too, that we did. So it's making a comeback for me. And that's Fedor Krokop. Bang, 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 crossover. But keep on going. Set it up, sir. Perfect. Like, perfect. It's, it is just two of the like most legendary heavyweights of all time at the peak of their abilities in just an absolutely brutal, bloody, back-and-forth fight where they both get to show off a lot of what made them great. Yes. And, you know, a lot of these, even, you know, even some of these other ones we're talking about, you're talking about, like, you know, Kane Congo, Barnett Emelianenko, JDS Hunt, they're fights that had very... uh sort of s- simple setups in how they ended up being delivered yeah. of like, this is one guy is doing this. The other guy is doing this. They both, it both works for both of them and it creates a really fun fight. But this fight, like then this is one of the things like the classic pride where you got the ring ropes and the you know the restarts. You got got you got a lot of, of of heavyweight grapplers who are willing to be highly aggressive grapplers, which meant a lot of position loss and a lot of you know great fighters ending up like in, going from mount to suddenly being on their back. Yeah, and it meant that like this fight just went fucking everywhere. You know, it, it was. Played out in all modes across, like, for the entirety of the thing. And it's just a beautiful fight. It did. It did. And this also came up under my uh, top five title defense uh, episode. Yep. Surprise, surprise, right? But I couldn't help but put it here. And that's that's cool. I love it when there's crossover on the same spot, too. We're both on the same mark for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and kind of like with the his Couture fight, uh, but even more so, you know, um, or... Or like a, a fight you referenced earlier. It, 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 I want to say it's ironic, but maybe not because of this era of MMA, especially in Japan, very heavyweight centric. But it is kind of ironic that a lot of these technical uh, references, these archetypes of matchups stylistically, how they go, how they stack up to be. A lot of the times we point to these classics are, that are end up you know being heavyweight fights, and this is one I point to a lot. You know, I think with like uh, Khabib and Edson was one I pointed to uh, breaking that fight down. I I, I felt you know somewhat uh you know somewhat similar you know and and even though you know you have a south pawn one and not in the other but just the the, the basic archetype of the fight mm-hmm. of, of, a, of a striker a superior striker a superior counter striker using the ring or just your environment in general against you or against your opponent pressure how that breaks things down and if you were to take a snapshot of these two guys at the end when they're doing the thing when they're in the ring and they're waiting for the announcement and they hold they hold one hand up and not the other. If we did it just by grading those shots alone, this would be up there in the top five as well because you could read it on their face. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's yeah. a, that was a great pick. And, of course, you could go back to uh, uh, Pride 2005 for that one. I guess that brings us to the number one. Are we going to have crossover for this number one, uh, Zane, as well? I can't imagine how we couldn't since it hasn't come up before and it can't be off our lists. All right. Does that mean it's Mark Hunt versus Antonio Silva at UFC Fight Night 33? Of course it fucking is. That's of course right. it fucking is. I mean, it is the heavyweight war of all heavyweight wars. Yep. 
it is the one it is pretty much the only heavyweight fight i can think of you know like because there you know you got fry takiyama that didn't make our list because it, to me it was kind of like i you know i'm not even sure it's like is it open weight is it heavyweight and it was kind of like a kid playing with Play-Doh, too, let's be honest. I mean... <laughs> yeah, it, but, like, it is an all-time great war. It is, of course, it's of just, course. It's, it's an all-time great MMA war. I just didn't feel confident enough putting it as a purely heavyweight bout, even though they're clearly both big heavyweight dudes. Same here. And, but, you know, so you got to, you're basically, like, you're taking that kind of dynamic... And then you're taking a great heavyweight fight like JDS Miocic one, and you're just kind of mashing those two things together. Yeah. Where, or you know, you're taking like Chase Sherman, Rashad Coulter, and marrying it with JDS Miocic, <laughs> and that like there's nothing else that really does that. Where you've got once again two really great big powerful tough technical heavyweights at the height of their career in their prime and they're just like they're just swanging they are just no cares no pauses no breaks just beating the absolute pulp out of each other is me and like you can't you can't really top that. There's nothing to compete with it. No, it was it was insane. Like I could totally see why. Like it's one of those things you make fun of in retrospect, but I would still argue holds up. And it's Dana White of all people doing that, where he went and made those hunt Bigfoot sweaters. Like I would still mm-hmm. want one of those, man. I don't give a shit about the test result of the fight. Like I thought that I still think that was oh. pretty fucking cool. Like I get the hype on that fight. It, it really got so much of us hyped and. My two favorite moments from that fight were, uh, I believe it's like the fourth round or third round maybe even, and Hunt is just super tired already at this point, and he's kind of backing up right in line with one of the fence posts. Mm-hmm. And uh, he looks tired, but he kind of just drops his left shoulder like it's fatigued, but then just whips up with his left hook left hook yep. from hell uh, just to stop this, like, at that point was like a six to seven combo that just got landed on him, you know, which we saw put out over him, uh, you know, and... Uh, then also, of course, at the end of the fourth round, this would be if we ever did top five in-corner moments where Mark Hunt's trainer goes, Mark, Mark, three things, Mark, three things to win the fight. Hot, hot, hot. And he's just whipping him with the towel. I love, find me a better moment. Like, you can't script that shit. That was just yeah. amazing, right? No, it's an amazing fight. I remember watching it live and just being like, I, you know, there will never be a greater high than this. And you get, you know, heavyweight gives you so that that kind of fight is so rare at heavyweight. Yes. You know, you you look at something like Cerrone Ferguson. And then you, you know, you try to translate that to heavyweight fights. And it is so hard to do that. Whereas we got that fight for Ferguson Cerrone. We got that like just yesterday, you know, right. in the lightweight division. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, yeah, that that was something we discussed at the top of that list is just the the pace that that would you know uh, justify quote unquote a war alone is going to really kind of you know uh, corral certain fights and really uh, you know parse the selection when you're when you're dealing with a, a weight class like heavyweight. 
Um, mm-hmm. One honorable mention as we as we now kind of we'll, we'll gear our way out of here. I just want to give a couple to the audience as I pull those up. But just while we're on Mark Hunt, the one that I kind of I just want to pay off. I was alluding to it almost made my number five had Mark Hunt as well. Unfortunately, it didn't have a traditional heavyweight though. This is listed as a heavyweight bout, Zane, and it was yeah. at pri- just one of my favorite cards. Again, another top five like top five favorite cards. Pride Shockwave 04, uh, Vanderlei Silva versus Mark Hunt. Uh, yeah. And, and that was just a fun – I mean that was the classic. You had at that time light heavyweight champion Randy Couture making his commentary debut in the Pride booth. And he drops the classic, the atomic butt drop line. And that was just a bananas ass fight. Oh, yeah. No. I mean like like I say, you know, Pride, it, it was for, – for the purposes of doing this and putting this list together, I just wasn't – there were so many fights that are like, oh, these are cool fights, but I'm not quite comfortable. Like another one I found that was also pretty pretty great uh, was, and is traditional heavyweights, once again, was Alex Emelianenko versus Sergei Karatanov. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a you fun know? one. I actually recently we rewatched that just just out of shits on that last Karatanov fight. I didn't have to go that far back, but I, I found myself going back to those ones just to revisit it. And like – they had they had a lot of fights that were super fun, but it you know for the purposes of what we were doing, like you go out and you look at like wiki and stuff like that, and they don't have any weight classes listed for any of these fights. You go and you look at uh you know topology, and they don't have the complete fight car- the the complete cards listed. Right, and so suddenly you're just like. I'm not exactly sure what weight class. Like, I I know these are heavyweights, but is, are are these technically supposed to be part of like an open weight card or whatever? I'm willing to just kind. Of, I I I wanted to throw a lot of that aside and focus on the fights that I knew were just like heavyweight fights. But yeah, no, same here. And and like you mentioned, topology and some of them I try not to use these, but they will have lists that kind of go with these lists and like best yeah. heavyweight fights of all time. Like my number five wasn't even on. A, anywhere on there, whereas like there were some that were really high, like Fujita versus Fedor, and that didn't make my list. I mean, it's a classic fight for many reasons, but for me, yeah. it kind of came down to like two moments. It was very, yeah, there wasn't was much of a war there, you know, as far as that goes. But uh, real quick, Jujitsu at Hip Hop seventy six says, my mind's drawn a blank right now. All I can think of are Bigfoot Silva and Fry Takayama. Looking forward to another episode with the Zane Simon. Thank you there. Uh, the MMA trader at the MMA trader Chase Sherman versus Rashad, Rashad Coulter forever and always hashtag big lads banging hashtag yeah, protecting yeah. podcast. Um, so that one, I appreciate you there for MMA trader on that one. Uh, Joseph D at JD MMA 0718 JDS versus Kane two or three DC versus Barnett, which is on my list for honorable mentions. I'm glad he mentioned that one. Yeah, that's. I mean, that felt like. It was, a, it was a it was a great fight and it was a cool fight, but I don't know. It felt a little too like one way for me to quite be on the war, you know. Yeah, and I think part of it too is I think I carry a little bit of that hindsight bias where I'm watching it, knowing that Barnett had a broken hand for most of it, and I'm you know giving yeah. him perhaps some undue credit there. Uh, and then of course leg kick and tacos. That's of course at leg kick TKO on Twitter. Paleli versus Krylov. No other fights need to be discussed. Yeah, no, it's true. And we should we've done a disservice to the entire episode for not mentioning that fight, which Yeah. I was gonna say I almost put that on my number five to steal on her, but then to maybe also give it credit, which I probably should have done 
in retrospect, but that's a really fun one if you want to see like a super tired heavyweight like just constantly like deciding whether or not he wants to quit and then like telling his corner he's got a broken rib and then you hear the officials hear it and go, oh, then the officials tell the doctor and then the corner spend the rest of the time going, no, no, it's fine. He just, he does it all the time. And like (laughs) the commentary is like other fighter clearly telling the corner that he's hurt and the corner is uh, keeping them in the fight (laughs) and he goes on to win. So that that fight is core to the legend of Nicky Thrills. Oh, of course. He's just squirm he's squirming and scrapping the whole time. You gotta put that guy away. Yeah. Uh yep, and everything uh, as far as my honorable mention list pretty much got mentioned. Of course I, I have written here Stefan Struvers Christian Moorcraft, but that's a fight that I talk about a lot and recently came up on a list, so Yeah. And that that's more of a bloody fight. I went and watched that fight. It's more of a bloody fight than it is like a war. Yeah. It, more of a classic it, Stefan Struve fight. Yeah, it's a lot of Struve working off his back, a lot of Moorcraft trying to, like, battle for top control, and then Struve kind of gets busted up and then comes back and wins. But it's not like, oh, my God, did you see, like, the way they were just going after it in there. Right. Uh, and last one before we get out of here. This was a late, late edition. I don't want to leave him out. John Hooper reigns. Obviously, Kimbo versus Houston. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Yeah, that, uh, oh, that yeah, there there was the last entry to my my uh, obvious official five, top five was uh, Kimbo Dada. <laughs> oh, there we go. Oh, Jesus Christ! Oh my God! So you got your Kimbo Dada. You got your Ganu <laughs> Lewis. You got your Duffy Russo. You got your uh, um, Akebono versus Bob Sapp, and uh, no, no D- Duffy Todd. Or, uh, Frank Mir, Todd Duffy, maybe. Oh yeah, that's a quick one. By the way, speaking of a uh, dot, your dot of five reminded me of Dada versus Kimbo. Now I need the Dana a picture of Dana White standing in his Hunt versus Bigfoot sweater, sweater, and Scott Coker with a Kimbo versus Dada sweater. How perfect would that picture be? I uh, yeah, I would <laughs> I would want both of those sweaters. I, me too. Uh, and then just finishing out, John Hooper Rain says, I think uh, it was Oleg Taktara versus Tank Abbott, where Oleg did actually take a brief nap during the action on Tank's chest during some ground and pound. Uh, I don't remember that one. Uh, and then JDS versus Roy Nelson was the first time I was afraid the octagon was going to collapse under the weight of fighters pushing against each other in the cage. JDS Nelson was actually a good fight. Like, that that's a good honorable mention fight. It is, yeah, it is actually, yes. Uh, Nelson really tried. He put tried to put it on JDS as best as he could, but it was very much like JDS getting the chance to really look slick and over the course of it, just absolutely start beating the tar out of Nelson as Nelson slowed down. Yeah, the shots he took, Jesus Christ, that fight. Um, he earned a Burger King sponsorship that he never got. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> All right, Zane, this has been fun. I know you got to get going, man. Uh, thank you for taking the time. We covered All a lot right, in no, this thank episode. You for me. Uh, anything you want to plug or anything before you get out of here? Oh, no, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Zane Simon. You can find me over at Bloody Elbow Presents for uh, our podcast network for SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And that's where I'm doing six round, vivisection, depressed us, all that good stuff. I'm back with the Bellator vivisection this week and a depressed us episode this week. And uh, then we'll be back for UFC Greenville stuff next week. And otherwise, uh, yeah, on Bloody Elbow, as always, weekend, week, day in, day out. Hey, man, you keep, you kick ass. Keep kicking ass. Listeners, thank you for listening. Keep listening. And always protect your neck.